Hi, everyone. Before we get into this week's episode, Melissa and I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge what is happening right now in the world and all of the fear and sadness that comes along with this tragedy. We've both been so heartbroken to watch what's happening in Israel and in Palestine. And regardless of anyone's feelings on the topic, what matters most is that innocent civilians are losing their lives and their homes and their sense of safety and well-being. And it is so hard to watch helplessly. And we can imagine that it feels the same for you. And so we just want to stop and say that everyone is in our hearts and that we are praying for peace and for a sense of well-being and safety and healing to be restored to both Israel and to Palestine, to the civilians in those nations that are innocent and uh, in harm's way. Signal is really a space that we try to create for healing and personal growth. And this month for some laughs and some lighthearted energy as we head into Halloween. And so we're just hoping that we can create that space for you where you can take a break from all of the heartache and the sadness and the helplessness to just indulge with us in some lighthearted conversation. And we hope that it helps you uh, the same way it's helped us to make this podcast while we have also been uh, feeling all of the difficult feelings that come along with watching what's happening in the world. So our hearts and minds and prayers are with everyone. We're sending so much love and uh, we are there with all of you. On with the show. Florence goes into labor and gives birth to two twin girls on October 4th, 1958. Wait, bro, that's today. Was that coincidence? October 4th. Whoa, are you joking, you little creepster? Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, intuition coach. And I'm Melissa Grushka, and I'm here to slaughter your sense of safety with some scary stories. Oh, ominous. This week, we are continuing our spooky season talking about unsolved mysteries. Bean, are you ready? Always. What up, Bean? What's up, Bean? Should we give some quick visuals? I feel you, like I'm going to... You gonna... can't wait. <laughs> You can't wait I, to tell people what costume you've shown up in. I like to be prepared and on time and ready to roll in costume. Okay. Let's give three um, clues. Descriptions. Clues. And Ooh, see if, good one. And then we'll give our audience a, a minute to see if they can mm. guess. Okay. She is yellow. A minute. Yellow. Oh, yeah. A minute. She <laughs> has um, goggles on her face. And she likes bananas. And I wear suspend overalls. Oh, denim, that's denim a fourth overalls. clue. Ugh. So All spooky, right. we can't even count. I don't know if you guessed it, but Bean showed up this week dressed as a minion. A spooky Welcome. minion. What's a spooky minion? I don't know. A minion who's going to tell you a scary story. Okay. I'm ready mm-hmm. for it. It actually makes me feel better to have you in this really precious Maybe. costume telling me a scary story. It might. It won't haunt your nightmares quite like the other times. Correct. How has your week been so far? You got anything cringy, delightful? Cringy in the is middle? second kid home, sick. 
Last week it was one kid. This week it's another kid. And I suspect next week it'll be the third kid. That's how it mm-hmm. likes to work in my house. We get like one. My kids like to do it really slowly. Nobody ever overlaps. If they do, it's only right. for like a day. So that we right, really right, right. prolong the length of the illness and the time we are stuck in the home. Yes. I have my daughter is sick now for the third week. Yep. Which is super stressful. My son got it in the middle and then he got better and she's still sick. So it's like just sick season. It just it is. is. Which is really kind of sad. W- yeah, winter I know. winter has barely arrived and we're already feeling it. I know. I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm sorry to you. Thank you. I'm adjusting my goggles. <laughs> I see that. It's hard to wear goggles and headphones at the same time. But yet you're doing it. You're like a DJ yeah. minion. <laughs> wicka, wicka. Witches. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to ask me about my cringy Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Would you, is, there, <laughs> is there something cringy or delightful you'd care to share? Uh, let's see. This week, cringy or delightful? Oh, I know. <gasps> Last week, we were recording our episode on exorcism or rituals, and I did exorcisms, and I scared the crap out of all of us. Correct. And as we're recording this, there's like a smell coming in through oh. the door of my office, <gasps> and we're I'm freaking out about it because I had asked TJ about it, and he had Googled that usually – okay, so the smell was this like pungent garlicky smell, but like not in a – delicious way in a way that is not pleasant and in it like kept getting worse. yeah yeah Vamp- it kept getting yeah. worse every single day and so I was like something is wrong and it's right outside my office my office is outside of the house like up a little hill and I told TJ about it he was on a business trip but he's like googling on the phone he's like it says here that the thing that can smell like that is like a body that's um a carcass Blech. That is deteriorating. So I was like, great. There is like some dead possum or something outside in the garden or something. So as we're recording this exorcism episode, I'm getting more and more freaked out of the smell in addition to the topic. I like work myself into a tizzy to the point where both clients that I have after I the first thing I tell them is what's going on outside of my yard and that there's a carcass and that my morning has been so terrible. All this to say, TJ comes home from his trip the next morning, like fully ready in gloves, has shovel, like ready to roll. Wow. Literally looks everywhere. Cannot find a single thing. Calls me outside and is like, come here. Okay. So I go over and there's this big flowering yellow plant outside of my office that has really pretty yellow flowers. And he's like, come here. Like, okay. He's like, smell this flower. Smell the flower. Smells like garlic. What is it? I mean, that potent. Last week, you were literally physically covering your nose. Right. And now it doesn't smell anymore. So I don't know if it was like what? pollinating or it was Ooh. going through some weird biological process. But it's this plant that gave off this garlic scent for like eight days and now it's gone. Wow. It was like hitting puberty. It hit puberty yeah, exactly. and it had rank body odor, <laughs> exactly. rank flower odor. So I totally overreacted and shared too much of that with too many people and it ended up being a plant. I thought that there really was going to be something spooky under your deck. I was sure. I thought with all the spooky talk and and how creeped out you were, I was like something's down there. We're going to it's going to be like an uns- a mystery. Oh, I see what you're trying to do right now. Are you no. trying to transition into the topic? 
But every time Kaya runs in here, was running in here last week, I was sure she was going to have like a dead animal in her mouth because it smelled so bad. So every time she'd run in here, I'd scare myself every time. Yeah, I just completely freaked myself out. And maybe it's because I was reading about exorcisms all week long. I suspect that had something to do with it. So basically, I'm like a five-year-old child who's not allowed to watch scary movies. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I'll let you do your transition now. Oh, so it sounded like you were talking about a mystery about what the smell was, which was a solved mystery once you figured it out. But what we're going to talk about today is unsolved mysteries. (gasps) Whoa, you did it. I mean, you barely did it. It was flawless. You did it. it. (laughs) Unsolved mysteries. All right. So this is spooky topic number three. (laughs) Why did we pick unsolved mysteries again? Because you kept trying to pick aliens and we kept saying aliens are not spooky. (laughs) Aliens are just aliens. I understand that you might be slightly fearful of them, but they're not spooky. I want to do a poll. I want to do a poll. Right. I I disagree. I think that most people would tell you that aliens are spooky. Like if you go to a haunted hayride and there's a bunch of people dressed up as creepy things, are any of them ever dressed as an alien? Okay. Let me let's just paint picture this. You're on the haunted hayride. I just said you're that, going so through it. the forest. Mm-hmm. There's nothing around you yet. You're just kind of going through the forest. It's dark. Yeah. And up ahead, behind three or four trees, you suddenly just see two figures emerge <laughs> that are humanoid looking, <laughs> that have big eyes and huge skulls and those long alien limbs. That doesn't scare you. I mean, I guess anything on a hayride coming, like a bear coming out of the dark, I'd be like, ah, that's scary. But I don't know. if When you think spooky and creepy, I just don't go alien. I'm sorry. Well, listen, sorry. I think you should read some of the alien stories that I have been partaking in and you will be creeped Let's out. Let's just do a normal alien episode. Are fine. they real? What does your intuition say? It doesn't have to be spooky. Okay, fine. We'll do a normal alien episode later on when it's not spooky season. And yes, please comment if aliens are spooky. I would love to prove being wrong right now. Once again, that was something for Instagram, not for the podcast, because you can't comment. <laughs> or Instagram or YouTube. Or, or you YouTube. know what? If you feel compelled, give us a review on Apple and also comment below it. Oh, in the review. If you think okay. aliens are spooky. We'll take it in any I'll take we'll proving take Maury it. wrong in any format. It's true. You really would. All right. Well, Unsolved Mysteries is something that has been a big deal because of lots of reasons, but because of our fascination with true crime and this medium itself, podcasts, has really fed the concept of Unsolved Mysteries and true crime. But we're not doing true crime today, right? We're a little bit on the more paranormal side of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh. Or is yours crime related? I don't know. Mine's pretty crime related. That's why it wasn't super spooky. And that's why I use the term slaughter up top yeah no it's not super spooky but it's unsolved what was the unsolved who was the host of unsolved mysteries in the 90s this is a great question so i looked this up in preparation Oh, you did i keep thinking dan rather but i know that's wrong no no no. we're about to celebrate the 35th anniversary (gasps) of unsolved mysteries by the way and it was hosted by um robert stack no, whose distinctive right. voice and trench coat let viewers know they're about to see a true crime production. But do you want to hear I'm a fun fact about Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah. Before this actor became an A-lister, he cut his acting chops on a television episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Who was it? 
guess. Oh, like in a reenactment? Yes. Oh my gosh, I have no idea. Yes. Can you give me a hint? It's a big one. A-list. Major A-list? A-list. Bruce Willis. Oh, wow. Nope. Brad Pitt. No, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I could see that. He played 26-year-old Larry Dean Dickens, who was Ooh. slain in a 1978 shooting, and it was featured on season five in 1992, which is why I think in the 90s we were so obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries is because there was literally a show called Unsolved Mysteries. Did you right. ever watch it? Obviously. I can tell. I can like picture the intro, but I didn't think – I'm thinking of somebody else. Are you thinking about William Shatner? No, I'm also oh. thinking of some other very depressing story that we don't have to get into. What's not? What? William Shatner is hosting an Unsolved Mysteries-like show right now on the <gasps> History Channel. My husband Ooh. and I watched it last night. Oh, and? I love everything on the History Channel. William you know, I watch Shat- Ancient Aliens constantly. <gasps> you do? I didn't know that. I love that show. I only know of that show because I once, I'd say over a decade ago, mocked one of my husband's friends severely for watching that show. Oh, well, now you get to mock me. What's so mock-worthy? Can you just quickly give a quick uh, briefing, debriefing on what alien, what's it called? Ancient aliens. Yeah. Give me a quick debriefing on what that is so everyone can understand how silly it is. But wait, can I also just say William Shatner like doesn't quit. He's like, I'm going to work and do any opportunity that comes my way as long as I am alive and breathing. I also think he's fascinated by these topics, which is why he likes to do this particular show. But anyway, for your information, since you asked about ancient aliens, Mm -hmm. it is a show on the History Channel that is bringing together a lot of different archaeologists, professors, scientists, um, people who really are researching this theory that a lot of our ancient ancestors and civilizations were visited by aliens, which were the reason that they had the technology and the information they had to build things like pyramids. Pyramids. And uh, <laughs> are you trying to mansplain this? To no, because I feel like that's one of the only real examples. No, if you watch, they'll talk about the things that were built in Peru, the Mayan temples, Stonehenge is another example. And basically, the theory is two things. One, again, the technology didn't exist for these marvels to really be built. So how did they do it? But two, I think the most compelling thing, and then I'll stop because I've totally eaten away at my whole credibility, is that a lot of these landmarks or these, these technological wonders in different spots of the world share very common um, traits. Such as? Whether it's like uh, markings on the actual temples, the direction that they're faced when the sun and the moon come through and how there's certain like windows that allow the moon to come through. Basically what they're saying is that they all share these traits. How were they able to communicate this information in a world previous to being able to even travel that far and communicate with other cultures. I mean, don't you think that these older cultures relied on the sky much more than we do? We just talked about this in another episode. So they were probably more in tune with when the moon is going to be where and when it will come through what areas. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I'm, that was just one example. You know what? Why don't you why don't I'm you try it, it before right. you diss it? Okay. You watch it. an episode. Yeah. All right. Exactly. I will. So what I just want to say that you subscribe to the theory that Stonehenge and 
the pyramids were all really built with the um, guidance of aliens? No, not That's- at all. I don't oh. <laughs> believe that 100%, but I do think it's fascinating to flirt with the possibility because I just feel like we don't really know. I think the idea that we think we're the only intelligent beings in this massive universe is just ridiculous. Yeah, agreed. Glad we settled that. Bean, I want to start yeah. before we even get into other people's unsolved mysteries. Do you have anything yeah. that's ever happened in your life that feels like an like a phenomenon you can't explain? Yes. Yes. My answer is yes, but I only have one very specific oh example and it only it only involves okay. you, of course, obviously. Okay. Um, Go. You have done sessions with me, like coaching sessions with me privately. I don't even know the last time we did one. We used to do them a long time ago. And we would um there was one in particular where you did like a very deep meditation with me to start off and I got very deep very quick. I was like in my car. Yeah. And as I'm in the meditation, this is not just to sell your um, special skills. It's just something that happened that I could never understand. Um, I we're sort of like visiting. I don't know what we're meditating on, but we're like going into deeper previous parts of my life, which I believe ended up being past lives. Again, you know, my verdict on all of that is still I'm not sure where, but I'm in this meditation and this um, bird shows up. And it says, it basically like, without speaking, I know that I'm supposed to follow it. And I say to you, it's like a hawk or an eagle, because that's what I see, which I have no recollection. I'm I'm not that um, wise into this world as you are. So I'm following this bird and it like takes me to these other locations and you're sort of like telling me what everything means. And then I don't know if you tell me, I think you tell me after the fact that when we get off, it turns out that hawks are... Um, spiritually symbolic of spirit guides and people who like guide you and keep you safe. And I had never heard this, but in this deep meditation, I'm sort of flying behind this bird, which I described to you as either a hawk or an eagle because I couldn't tell. Yeah, It was mind blowing. I, I have never looked at hawks the same. Every time I see a hawk now, I'm sort of like comforted. Yes. A hawk is a spiritual symbol for guidance from spirit guides. And it's actually found in a lot of cultures, a lot of native cultures believed that the hawk is the symbol of divine guidance. I can't tell you how creepy it still is, even saying it out loud. And I have craved getting back to that type of deep meditation. And I haven't been there. So maybe you owe me a session. I thought when you said, I do, I thought when you said, when you brought up that session, you were going to say, the fact that I was describing seeing things to you that you were also seeing in your meditation. Yes, that too is really flipping. Did that not freak you out? The whole thing craved me out. I have to say it was when I was like, okay, like I always knew you were powerful since we've been friends. But that time I was like, what is happening? Get out of my head. It was cool because you're such a cynic and you really are. We've talked about this a million times on this podcast. Sometimes I tell you the things that I do and you kind of, you love me, so you're supportive, but there's definitely a part of you that's like, I don't know if I believe it. And it was really awesome to watch you experience it and be super speechless afterwards. Yeah. It was a major shift for me. After that, I was like, okay. All right. Okay. This is real. All right. Let's get on board. Let's see what's going on here. Yep. But now I need your story because I'm certain yours will be much more uh, – I have no words today. Yours will be I... much gooder than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, let's not forget the last episode. I said annals of history, so there's really no no way True. that you're going to top that. Powerful. Yours will be stupidity. more powerful. Powerful than mine. Good word. Not good. Uh, I've I have a lot to pick from. Actually, the one that I um really want to tell, I'm going to save for next week because <gasps> next week, spoiler alert, we're doing hauntings. So I will not tell that story <gasps> today. Wait, but- I hope you're. Tell me what you're going to tell me. I'm really hoping it's what I want to know about. Okay. The one that comes to mind that is, again, a phenomenon I don't have uh, rational Got it. data or language to explain is, have you heard about these places in the world that are energy vortexes? Yeah, like near the Northern Lights. I know there's supposed to be one, right? So, yeah. So the idea is that there are spots throughout the world, and we have a bunch of them here in the U.S., that are energy vortexes. And I was just always very curious, like, what does that even mean, an energy vortex? How does it, what does it mean? What I've learned about it is that they are supposed to create feelings in you that you wouldn't feel um, Mm -hmm. if you weren't there. Uh, They also can create clarity and connection to something greater. I got to go. I got to go right right now. So we went to Sedona, TJ and I, right after we got married. And I know that there are a ton of energy vortexes in Sedona and we were doing a hike um, and we were literally, I mean, the hikes in Sedona too, depending on the kinds you pick, they're not easy. You're kind of scaling up the rock there. It's not like a path that's super easy to get to, but we were scaling up this rock. I'm kind of following TJ and we- It doesn't sound like a very relaxing honeymoon, by the way, hiking up the steep rocks. Like what kind of honey, like can we get by a pool and get some drinks in our hand? I mean, you know, TJ, there's got to be a little mix of outdoor adventure in it all. And I just embrace it. Okay. So we're going up this rock and we're at the point where you can either go left or right. (gasps) And both of us are like, let's go to the left. We go to the left. And as we're getting closer, I'm getting dizzier and dizzier and dizzier. And then we get to this spot and I literally have to sit down. And TJ, who never stops because he's just constantly moving and a hiker and grew up in the mountains, kind of just like also felt like he was losing his footing and turned around looked at me and he's like, do you feel dizzy? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I just sat down. He's like, something's weird. Like something feels like it felt like we were in like a swirl. I don't know how else to explain it. It kind of felt like that, like where you lose your footing because your brain, your head is swirling a little bit. And it just felt like this magnetic pull. And then we both just sat there and I was like, well, maybe we should just see if we meditate. Like, should we take this in? We had already known that there was these vortexes were supposed to be about connection. And so we both just sat there in silence. And I just have to tell you, I received so many clear messages about my purpose, about the move that we were going to do to California that we did right afterwards, like so much peace. I was filled with so much peace and clarity. And TJ too was like, that was the most peaceful I have ever felt. What? It was so weird. Does TJ get into the same level of spirituality that you get into? Or was he this does. Like he does. Oh, he does. Okay. Because I thought this was even not, not typical natural for him. For him. Yeah. No, it's he believes the things that I think we both believe the same things about connection to greater things, about, you know, things like spirit guides and being, you know, that there's more than the eye can see, that there's a lot more to it. Okay. And that we're on a journey to awakening to all of that. Um, I, he doesn't practice it the way that I do. He certainly doesn't teach it the way that I do, but he's open to it. Right. He's definitely not someone who would just tell you he was feeling those things if it wasn't 
absolutely what he was feeling. Okay. It was crazy. I can't explain it. Can I hear some messages? Is that kosher for the show or it's private and personal? No, it's what I said. It was like just clarity about how good the move was going to be for all of us and clarity about what I meant to do in the world and this practice that I have and owning the fact that I'm a healer and not trying so hard to make it make sense to people or make it sound practical, but just to heal people. I want to go. I told you when I was there, we need to go to Sedona. Okay. Company retreat, podcast retreat in Sedona, 2024. I'll bring my minion overalls. That's my phenomenon. Wow. That is phenomenal. You know what I mean? (laughs) But on (laughs) phone. All right. So what are we going to do here? You have an unsolved mystery for me. I've got one for you. Who's going to go first? Mm, I don't know. You want to do rock, paper, scissors? Okay. Ready? Okay. Is it best out of one? Yeah. Okay. I got it. Rock, Rock, paper, paper, scissors, scissors, shoot. shoot. What you got there? Oh, I won. I got scissors. All right. right, I'm going to go. I'm going to tell you about (laughs) the curious case of Jacqueline and Joanna that were killed in a car accident in 1957. Ooh, yours is already creepy. (laughs) And uh, were said to have reincarnated together in another lifetime. And there's some interesting twists and turns in this story, and it is considered an unsolved mystery to this day. All right. So are you ready? Are you? Yeah, Yeah. that sounds good to you. Do my goggles look ready? (laughs) Your goggles look very ready. I'm going to tell you about the curious case of the Pollock sisters. (gasps) Just hang in there. This is going to be an interesting ride. All right. So I'm transporting you back in time to 1957 to a small town in England called Hexham. It's May and two sisters, 11-year-old Joanna Pollock and her younger sister, six-year-old Jacqueline, are on their way to church. They're walking to church with their friend Anthony and they are sadly struck and killed by a car. (gasps) No Um, parents? They're like just going to church on their own? Yeah, they're walking to church. All right. They get hit by a car and instantly die on the scene. (gasps) Um, it was later, by the way, it was discovered that the driver was drunk and oh. um, or under sorry, under the influence of drugs. This is the really crazy part. She had intentionally hit the three kids after being separated from her own children. <gasps> and they uh, diagnosed her with a psychiatric break. Clearly. But this made British headlines throughout the spring of 1957. Um, so they die. And Mm -hmm. their parents, obviously, John and Florence Pollock, they are devastated. They're bereft, obviously, as you would expect. Fast forward a couple years, Florence, the mom, uh, becomes pregnant again. And when she's pregnant, her husband says to her, you're going to have twins and they're going to be girls. And these are our two girls coming back to us in a new form. Now, the thing to just know about the Pollocks is that they're devout Catholics. So they don't believe in reincarnation and they have argued over this premise repeatedly after John starts to say that this is what he believes. So much so that Florence um, becomes really angry with him and this conversation becomes such a controversy that there was even a threat in there that um, Florence basically wanted to file for divorce because (sighs) they were in such odds about this concept and it was going against so much of what she believed. Wow. So 
The other fact is that John's telling her you're going to have twins. Um, there's no history of twins in either of their bloodlines. Florence goes to a doctor. The doctor is like, no, you're going to have a single birth. The likelihood of twins is very low. John had a knowing, right? An intuitive knowing. An intuitive knowing. So against all odds, Florence goes into labor <gasps> and gives birth to two twin girls oh, on October 4th, 1958. <gasps> The twins are named Jillian. Bro, that's today. Do you know that? Was that coincidence? October 4th. Whoa! Are you joking, you little creepster? (laughs) Oh my God. I literally have goosebumps. You're like smelling for garlic plants now. You're like, what? (laughs) That gave me goosebumps from like the top of my head to my toes. Okay. Gather ourselves. All right. I'm I'm gathered. Wait, how many years ago was that? 2023? I can't even do words. Do Don't make me do math right now. Come on, let's do it. What's it? Say it again. 1958? 2023 okay, so. to 1958. People okay, are probably so screaming at us right 50, now. Like, duh, wait, you idiots. 50, 65. 65 years ago. On this day, we're, we're telling the story. just using a calculator? I use, my ma- I use my brain calculator. Don't tell okay. people. <laughs> okay. Wait, so, super creeps. Yeah. Jillian and Jennifer are born. Um, The twins are identical, but they had different birthmarks, which doctors were really confused by because it's highly unusual in identical twins to have any kind of different birthmarks. Right. Jennifer had a small birthmark on her left hip, which matched a birthmark that Jacqueline had had. This is the sister who died (gasps) in the car accident. Super creepy. Jennifer also had a birthmark on her forehead, which is similar to a small scar that Jacqueline had in the same exact spot. No way. Um, now, the, th- the twins turn about three months old and the family moves away from Hexham, which is where right. the girls had died, and they relocate to a place called Whitley Bay. It's east of Hexham. Uh, the girls get older. And as they're getting a little older, we're now entering like toddlerhood and little beyond. They're, they're using their words. Um, they start to talk about Hexham, the town of Hexham, and what? describe it in great detail. Creepy. Like they're able to talk about the town and the storefront and the, where the park was and things <gasps> like that. Um, Your story family- is way creepier than mine, by the way. Way creepier. Oh, I'm already okay. creeped out. Yeah. All right. Two in a row. I'm really yeah. winning the creepy game. Yeah. So the family returns to Hexham when the girls are four, uh, and the twins start pointing out landmarks that they've never seen before because they don't they they moved out of Hexham. Remember when they're three months right. old, um, and they can name them. They know what the landmarks are, like the school that Joanna and Jacqueline went to. They'll point to it really excitedly and be like, "There's our school, the Hexham That's Abbey." Super creepy which is the church, and then a playground where their deceased sisters loved to play. They would be like, that's the playground that we play at. They even seem to know how to get to the playground without ever having been like guided there before. So their parents are starting to be like, okay, what's going on? John is sort of like, told you. Florence is not still very convinced and she's a little, you know, annoyed that this argument she's been having with her husband about reincarnation is starting to work against her because they can't explain why these little girls know so much about Hexum and about the things that Joanna and Jacqueline used to like to do. 
Another yeah, thing that- I was that- curious how the mother was able to explain it. I mean, I can't explain it. At this point, it feels like she's just kind of going with it, but starting to feel a little bit confused about what's going on, whereas John is feeling like he understands what's happening. Another weird thing that the parents say happens is that the twins start to identify their late sister's toys by name. <gasps> so like, oh, there's Roxy the teddy. Um, they had actually even stored the the late girl's toys out of sight, and the twins started asking for these toys back by name. I'm missing the puppy rover. Uh, and so Did they you just make that part up or is that yeah, a real example? I'm just adding oh. a little bit of color commentary. <laughs> the girls were, it was almost like they were remembering these toys as their own. That's how they were talking about them. Like, where is this dog of mine? Um, they were able to name these toys and then they also started to divide the toys up by who owned <gasps> them previously. So Joanna and Jacqueline like had different toys. The two girls are dividing them up exactly the same way that their deceased sisters had. No way. And they even are, you know, aware or saying that these toys came from Santa, which ones came from Santa, which were exactly the ones that had come from Santa. What is happening? What is going to be the outcome here? I'm so curious. Oh, I'll get there. So Florence and John start to notice even more things like there's a lot of similar personalities between these sisters and their other sisters. Right. Um, Joanna, which was the older sister, remember, of the deceased, mm-hmm. she was the 11 year old when she died, was very prote- protective of her um, younger sister, Jacqueline. And Jillian seemed to be the one in the new pair, in the, in the twin pair, that was more mature than her twin sister. Jillian was only born 10 minutes before Jennifer, but right. she was the one who looked after her twin, almost in this sense of. Wow feeling protective as well. They also noticed that they enjoyed almost exactly the same foods as their deceased sisters and exactly the same games. They wanted to play exactly the same games. So Florence, you know, keeps rejecting this idea that this could possibly be reincarnation. She says until one day that changed her mind completely. As if this wasn't enough. She walks into their room They're on the ground. They're playing make-believe. And Jillian is holding her sister's head. She's cradling her head. So Jillian's holding Jennifer's head. They're laying on the ground and telling her, oh, my God, the blood's coming out of your eyes. This is where the car hit you. So they're basically recreating the car accident scene and describing details that actually happened during the car accident. (gasps) That's very eerie. Um. One other occasion that Florence says really changed her mind is that Jillian pointed to Jennifer's birthmark. Remember, she has a birthmark on her head, and we said that's where Jacqueline had a scar. Um, Jillian points to her sister's birthmark and says, that's the mark Jennifer got when she fell on a bucket. Is that how how she got the scar? What? What does this all mean? And why did they go back to the same parents? It was like they had something... To fulfill there, right? The dad also oh. talks about how the girls were just always terrified of cars. Every time a car would even start, they would get anxious um, and start screaming and saying, the car is coming to get us. So this really irrational fear of a very everyday object that you see all the time um, would terrify them. Wait, After are, the, aren't these chicks alive? They're alive. Wh- I'm going to tell you what they say today. Let's get them on the podcast. 
So here's the thing. Shortly after the twins turned five, their memories start to fade. Now, this is something I did look into past lives and people who Mm -hmm. are researching past lives. And a Mm -hmm. lot of researchers say that right around this age is when they start stop talking about this. Um, And I will even tell you, my own baby boy, Keon, when he was three and a half or four, he we got this cat that he's still obsessed with. Hunter loves this cat. And we're sitting at breakfast one day and he's like, mommy, Hunter in my past life was Joel. And Joel was my co-pilot in the war when they struck down our plane. What? <laughs> He's four. And I was I've like, I've never heard this. Okay. Yeah. No way. I mean, obviously I at that time and still am like, that could be anything, right? Like you're watching a cartoon totally. and you're just imagining it. But I'm just going to say right before five, my own kid was like talking about some past lives. He, he told me once, <laughs> I'll never forget this actually. He told me on another occasion, mommy, my mommy in my other life was in the orchestra. <gasps> and kind of looked at me like, mm, like to be you. <laughs> I don't know. Don't how to you tell wish you. you were my last mom? <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry that she was way more magnificent than you are. Wow. But I had to I tell wonder- you. Wow. He would talk about his past lives before he turned five. And so anyway, same with these girls around five. They stopped talking about it. Um, Jillian has been asked about this as an adult. And she says that here's what she can tell you. She experienced visions of herself playing in a sandpit at a home in Wickham. Um, But Jillian had never been to Wickham. So she's able to perfectly describe the house and the garden that matched the home that Joanna had once lived in with her parents at four years old. But that's not where the twins were born to and went home to? No, this isn't Hexham. So I guess when Joanna was four, they lived in this town, Wickham, that no one's ever been to. But Jillian is able to describe the house perfectly. How? Does she say how? She doesn't say how. That's kind of all that she'll say on the matter. And while the case of the Pollock twins has been cited as proof of reincarnation, (gasps) you obviously have a lot of cynics who say that their memories could have been influenced by people around them. Um, They did have four older brothers. So some cynics like to say and skeptics that the older brothers influenced them in some way, although the parents feel like it's way too uncanny, the level of detail, the scars, the fear, like that's not stuff that you can just recreate because your brothers have told you stories. Wow. And that is the unsolved mystery of the Pollock sisters. Now, I really wish that I won rock, paper, scissors because mine is not that spooky at all. It's just pretty much an unsolved mystery. Like, Well, end. I want to hear it. Wait, but do you – before we hear yours, I yeah. did get a little curious about reincarnation. Do you want me to do like the three-minute thing overview uh, of reincarnation that I learned? Thousand, I a thousand percent it? yes. Okay. Let me just say before I launch into this, I do believe in reincarnation. It's very much a part of even the method that I teach around your soul coming back into the body to have tangible experiences so that it can grow and expand. So it is part of my own thinking. Um, Anyway, that aside, they have found in a research study that 33% of Americans believe in reincarnation. And of those respondents, 10% um, actually say that they can recall their own past lives. So I thought that How was many? interesting. What percent? 10%. 10% of the 33% of Americans who say they do believe in it also say they can recall their own past lives. Hmm. I wonder to what extent. Yeah. Well, so this was what I thought was really interesting. So 
For more than 45 years, there's been a team um, of the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia at UVA that's been collecting stories of people who can recall their past lives. to determine if this is something that we need to start to take seriously. The team over the 45 years has gathered 2,500 documented cases of children from all over the world that have detailed memories of their former lives that they have been able to then validate by going and researching or looking into the memories that these kids say they have. Um, And they say that they- Yeah, I would love to. They say that they typically began talking about their previous lives when they were like two or three and stopped by the age of six or seven. Um, And Dr. Tucker, who runs this research study, says that's around the same time that we all lose our memories of early childhood. Um, Mm. He also says that he's meticulous about this methodology and he checks for fraud, deliberate or unconscious, by always asking two questions before they even agree to further research anyone who's saying they have memories. One is, do the parents seem credible? Who knows how they look into that? And then two, could the child have picked up the memories through TV, overheard conversations, or any other ordinary means? So if he can rule that out, meaning they have a memory that there's – they have a memory that there's no TV show about. They have a memory about something so random in a village that happened to one family that like how would they have known that? Then he will um, look at it. Close to three quarters of the cases investigated by the team are solved, meaning that a person from the past matching the child's memories is identified. Nearly 20% of the kids in the UVA cases have naturally occurring marks or impairments that match scars and injuries on the past person. I wonder what the purpose, if that is correct, what the purpose of having physical scars from a previous physical body what what the purpose of that is right i right. i agree like why i did wonder that too hmm. i don't know maybe totally because part think- of their purpose is to get us to wake up to more realities than what is just tangible evidence in front of us and so they they come back to open our eyes to the concept of reincarnation i don't know I totally think we should do an episode about it because I still don't know where I stand. Although I will say even during our deep meditation that I was just referring to, we did visit what you explained to me was a past life of mine. And it was very strange, the details I was able to pull, but, (laughs) but I still can't say I know where I stand on all of that. Totally. And we're also trained as society to look for tangible evidence. And I am. It's that's part of the challenge is if we can't see it, we can't trust it, which is just then it's a little sad because there's so much (laughs) that we can't see that we need to trust. All right. But anyway, doing it. That's a different episode. On to your unsolved mystery. Take it away. I'm really feeling I'm feeling really embarrassed to do mine now. Why? I feel like we have this every time. Every time I'm like, oh, yours was so good. And mine is like scatterbrained and all over the place. Well, you know what? What? Uh, Step up your game, young lady. Maybe that's it. I'm not. I've told you this before. I'm not a good researcher. All right. Listen, get ready. In fact, why don't we play a little guessing game? This case I'm about to share with you has been described as the most famous unsolved murder case in American history. Oh, yeah. Is it John Benet Ramsey? No, but that would have been a fun one too. Well, not fun, but you know what no. I mean. Fun no. is the wrong word. Wrong word. Uh, I'm just going to tell you so we stop okay. so I stop saying that other murders are fun. Um, yes, please. It's the Zodiac Killer. Do you know oh, about the Zodiac yes. Killer? 
Sort of. Yeah. I just I know I know the term the Zodiac Killer. I know that this isn't in too long ago history. It's more recent. No, yeah. Um, that's all I know. Great. So I will tell you, you are correct. It was the late 1960s and early 70s in Northern California primarily. Um, so there were killings happening in all these different towns, Benicia, Vallejo, Lake Berriesa, and San Fran between 68 and 69 mostly. Um, and his victims were couples that were like hanging out in some secluded areas doing only Lord knows what. Um, a couple of his, the early people that he murdered were David Arthur Faraday, and he was with his date. It was her, the first time she was actually allowed out on a date. Her name was Betty Lou Jensen. Aww. I know. They were shot in their car on Lake Herman Road within the, the town of Benicia. Um, another famous case was Michael Renault Maggio. He was 19 and Darlene Ferrin, 22. They were shot in a parking lot of uh, like a park in Vallejo, Vallejo. Um, but the dude survived that attack while the oh, girl wow. was pronounced dead when she arrived at the hospital. Oh, was um, he able to give the cops yeah, any clues? A oh, little okay. bit. Spoiler so it comes alert? up later. No, okay. not really spoiler alert, but he does come up later because he survived. Um, yeah. Another couple, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard, 20 and 22, they were stabbed in Napa County. Um, Hartnell survived, but the girl died also a few days later. I know. And then there was this random um, cab driver, Paul Stein, who was shot and killed in San Francisco. Anyway. Wow. The whole reason that those were some of the most popular murders that he did, although he has been connected to 37 potential murders. Wow. Um, The big thing and the big creepiness with him is that he liked to sort of showboat. Like, he would leave all these weird things at the crime scenes. He would leave – hold on, just moving. Like, weird clues related to astrology, nautical equipment. Uh, But the weirdest thing is he would send these letters to newspapers. And they were letters, one, super creepy. It's like the makings of a movie. Dear editor, I am the killer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake – Herman. Um, and then it, he gave details about that murder that only the perpetrator could have known. But the even creepier and weirder part is he would send these um, ciphers with each letter, which were these um, like coded. It's like coded language. It's almost like you used to get them on the back of cereal boxes. Like oh, you have to like decode where you have to decode it. The symbols, yeah. Each symbol represents a different letter, but there would be like these long, really confusing, challenging ones that he wanted the public and the cops to figure out that would come along with his letters. It's very much the making Wait, of a movie. Wait, did they have to use the cipher to be able to even read the letter? They couldn't. No, there were like a, a regular part and then the cipher supposedly oh, gave up his identity. So nobody could figure them out. People tried like tirelessly to figure them out and nobody could. And also each letter had his symbol, which was a circle with a cross through it, which became known as the Zodiac Killer symbol. Um, So they had these ciphers and he kept challenging everybody to get on board, but only one has actually been solved to this day. And it wasn't solved until 2020. Isn't that bananas? The cipher was solved? The, only one of them. There were four known ciphers that he sent along with some letters. 
Yeah. And nobody could figure them out. It turned out that he did like misspell certain words intentionally (laughs) to make it extra challenging to figure out. But still, you would almost think with like the internet and chat GBT that we could kind of figure this out at this point. Yeah. So he writes that letter about the teens and then he shoots. I mentioned he shot that taxi driver. Um Paul Stein and they he sent a letter to the San Francisco Chron- San Francisco Chronicle and it was written in this erratic print just like his other letters and it gave all the details of the murder and it was accompanied by a bloody scrap of the taxi driver's shirt. Oh. Um and then he was so like hot to have his to have press around him that he said if they didn't um publish all of his letters and everything he says that he would next shoot out the tire of a school bus and quote unquote pick off the kitties as they come <gasps> bouncing out. Oh my god. Yeah, so he's like super creepy, super dark, super meticulous with everything he's doing. Nobody can catch oh him. Oh my um, god, this is terrifying. I know, I'm sure it's for super the people terrifying. who are living in these towns around that totally. time. Totally. And lots of, so there were a decent amount of survivors. And so they were able to give descriptions, but all the descriptions were different. So they think he was probably using costumes or like wigs and glasses and different things, but they did have a sketch um, that they used more frequently to try to pinpoint whoever this was. But in 74, the letters stopped and no more killings occurred. Uh, they stayed open, but they're mostly there's been no leads. Uh, there have what? been 12 different zodiac killer persons of interest so far um still not solved the most well-known was arthur lee allen uh he was the subject of a book and film called zodiac and he was a a former elementary school teacher and convicted sex offender and he died Mm. in 92 he was actually his photo was identified by that gentleman maggio who i said earlier did survive the shooting so his photo posthumously after he died was picked out by that Maggio saying that was him, but they still aren't sure. Another guy's name was Gary Francis Post. I had saw some rumblings of Ted Kaczynski being considered Whoa. as the yeah as the Zodiac killer. There are a lot of rumors that um, there actually may have been more than one Zodiac killer. That it wasn't actually the same one. So he only sent. They only received four ciphers, but he has been attributed to like thirty-seven murders or something. Yeah, he took credit for thirty-seven murders. That's what it was. Wow. But they could only conclusively link him to five killings and two additional suspected murders. So it's like it could be copycat where he it's becoming such a big part of the press cycle that other psychotic people are trying to So copycat. they don't know. Yeah. And because there were all these different descriptions of him, they just don't totally know. They've made movies. They've had books. There have been like, I'm telling you, there were like message boards I was really getting deep down into with people theorizing. So I saw one message board where they had an old photo of um, the young man, one of the first young men murdered his funeral. It was like a photo. And then people were speculating that the killer was actually there. And one of the scouts in the picture looks just like the killer. Oh he my God, the- that's so creepy. But they don't know. And he did creepy things like they would trace calls that he would make to these um, radio stations or television stations. They would trace the calls back to like a phone booth really close to the police station. He was just a super duper creepy guy. Disturbed, disturbed person. Super disturbing. It's not paranormal. It's not weird. It's just super creepy that this guy was so hot to get his like name out there. And playing these weird games. It doesn't it just seem like a horror movie you watched when you were 14? Like, or clues, it seems like puzzles? a plot from like 
bat like a really dark batman joker totally situation. joker vibes it gave me joker vibes too that's exactly what i thought wait are you not gonna tell me what the cipher said that the guy decoded three years ago well he actually sent um different pieces of the cipher and so one of them was decoded and it said something to the well here i have the actual quote of what it was decoded i don't know one of the words I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and all that I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. Oh Spooky. my God. Spooky. And he that did is threaten. so disturbed. Holy shit. And he sort of teased them being like, I hope you're having lots of fun trying to catch me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because now I have enough slaves to work for me. It's like a oh. super duper creepy cracked by like a group of people who work tirelessly on this. And he did threaten to uh, like more acts of violence if the papers didn't publish his message and his ciphers and everything so he's trying to create fame or infamy totally totally wow creepy and it's not solved that's the craziest case like dude did so much and they couldn't get anything wow yeah that is really disturbing sorry holy (laughs) i wonder how many movies this has inspired I, it says tons. There's tons because it I has bet. the making. Yeah, it has the make, the perfect making of a book or a movie. Oh, my God. Oh. I thought we to say something like lighter to, before we sign off today. What about me being dressed as a minion and having yellow paint all over my hands? Here's the best part. The minion costume, the face of the minion is on the hood. <laughs> like it's like a sweatshirt hoodie. And so every time Bean would look down to read her notes... It was literally like the minion was the only thing in the screen talking to me. And that did cheer me up. So thank God you wore such a happy costume today. I feel like this is less intimidating when sharing tales of the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, seriously. Wow. Well, that's Unsolved Mysteries then. Unsolved. Yeah. We should take it to the 90s show and see what they can make of it. I bet you there's an episode of this on the 90s show. Ooh. Um. All right, we got one more episode left of Spooky Season (gasps) next week. Spooky. We're going to talk about hauntings. Will I be dressed spookily or like this, like an asshole? (laughs) We'll find out next week. See you then. Bye, Bean. See you then. Bye. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Gushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Thekadet, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islam. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.